have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be using them today. And uh, you can turn to 1 John 1.9 to get going. 1 John 1.9, we've been looking at the lost art of forgiveness. And I want to reiterate to you why we call it an art. Because it's a supernatural talent that is given by God to His children. The way we're talking about forgiveness is not something the world can do. It's a sacred skill that you have to be taught. And that's why we're teaching on it. You say, well, isn't it pretty easy to forgive? Not when you're forgiving God's way and and to the degree that He forgives. And then we're saying it's a spiritual discipline, that you have to to practice this. You have to, and I've been learning this discipline for uh, decades now. And especially what I'm giving to you today is a result of practicing this discipline. And so where we are in this series, we're moving from receiving forgiveness from God to actually beginning to be forgiving towards others. And you see in your uh, notes there the four fundamentals. And it always begins with receiving forgiveness from God. And that enables us to be forgiving toward one another and really toward anyone. And that enables us to then ask for forgiveness with integrity. And then to give it, because you can't give to others what you haven't first received from the Lord. So to get us going this morning, I just want to reiterate as we move from the last three lessons into today's lesson, why is receiving forgiveness from the Father so foundational to all other kinds? Why is receiving at the bottom of that pyramid? Let me give you two reasons. Because our Heavenly Father never gives us anything without expecting us to share it with one another. Our Heavenly Father is the perfect Father, and if we as fathers, if we as parents know, when we give our kids something, we expect them, what does every parent teach? Be kind and share. And that's exactly, that is exactly what the Father says. Look, every time He forgives one of His children, He's saying to us, be kind and share this forgiveness with others, especially others in our family, because God says to us, my family is a family of forgivers. Okay? And I have these verses that show us how We really don't have a right to claim forgiveness from God when we withhold it from others. So notice some of these verses. And forgive us our debts. Here's the Lord's Prayer. As we also have forgiven our debtors. We shouldn't really ever come to the Lord, as we've been teaching, and ask forgiveness for Him if we are withholding it from others. Then he says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. There's a conditional aspect to forgiveness that I think we we overlook it with our, to be honest, overemphasis on unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness. I almost hate to say it overemphasis on that. But truly we have. If we obliterate other conditions that God gives in Scripture, then we've overemphasized a truth that God teaches. Notice Mark eleven twenty five. But when you are praying, first, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven 
will forgive your sins too. Before you ask for anything, make sure that you are right with others in a forgiving way. And then, of course, you have the stern warning at the end of Matthew 18 where Jesus gives the parable and his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he was owed. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you. And he's talking to believers. If each of you does not forgive his brothers from your heart. Wow. I think it's very clear. The reason receiving forgiveness is so foundational is because God expects us to share it with one another. Second reason. Because the reason that uh, receiving forgiveness is so foundational is because the way our Heavenly Father forgives us is the same way we are to forgive one another. Now, this is the basis for everything we're going to learn today and, to be honest with you, for the next two weeks. The way our Heavenly Father forgives us is the same way we are to forgive one another. And the two classic passages for this are Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3.13. I have them there in your notes so that you can see them and we can look at them together. Let's read these together. So read with me, starting with Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Let's read Colossians 3.13 together. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. That really emphasizes that the manner in which we have been forgiven, we are to forgive others. So, that's one reason we spent three weeks on how to receive forgiveness. Because there's confusion about that. Think about this. If we think, or we're taught, that we don't need to ask God for forgiveness once we're born again, why in the world would I be motivated to ask you for forgiveness, right? If I'm not, if I'm taught or I'm under the false assumption, I don't ever have to ask God forgiveness now that I'm saved. Well, why would I be motivated to ask a human being, an imperfect human being? Listen, if we are to forgive one another's, uh, one another just as, as these two verses say, and in the same way that God has forgiven us as believers, and we think that God forgave us just one, in a once-for-all manner for all our sins, that that's all He did. He did that, but that's all He did. And we have no need for ongoing repentance, no need for asking for ongoing forgiveness. Then that directly impacts how we forgive one another. And that's kind of the basis for everything. Here's the idea I want you to get. Just as, that, those two little words has so much teaching just in those two, two words. Because when he says, hey, forgive others just as I've forgiven you, it's a gospel-centered way of saying these three things. Forgive one another because God has already forgiven you. Forgive one another. That's what just as means. Hey, you've gotten it from him. Now you are obligated to give it to others. The reason why we're forgiving is because Christ and God not only forgave me, but he forgave all the people that I'm mad at. The person that I'm so offended by, 
the person, he's already forgiven them. And so why wouldn't I forgive? Number two, just as is the gospel-centered way of saying, forgive, forgive one another to the same degree God has forgiven you. To the same degree. Whoa, just as. How has God forgiven me? He's cast my sins as far from the east, as far from the east is from the west. He's, he's cast them into a sea of forgetfulness, and then he put a sign that said no fishing. He's made a promise to not remember our sins against us once he's forgiven them. That's the degree that we're to forgive others. Okay? Three, forgive one another in the same manner or in the same way. All that is in those two words, just as. And the key is, do we understand the manner in which God forgives us? And I would put forth to you, there's a lot of confusion, and we've tried to clear that up for the last three weeks. And there's a lot of confusion, I believe, about what we're going to see today. Because here's the deal. Our forgiveness should be gospel-centered. And that means... The, the way God forgives us in the gospel is the standard and the basis for our forgiveness of one another. So, you say, well, what's the big deal? Here's why I want you to listen today. Okay, here's why what we've just said is important. How do you forgive someone who is unrepentant? How do you forgive someone who never admits their sin continues to sin against you and refuses to recognize that it is a sin and certainly never will ask you for forgiveness. Now, there's, there's a lot of answers to that, even within Christians. And I can show you all the forgiveness books I've got, and there's different answers to that. But we want to try to find God's answer. And so that's what we're going to do. How do you forgive someone when they're dead? Maybe a parent abused you, a grandparent, a stranger, a neighbor, and that person's dead. How do you forgive them? A very popular way, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes, and I don't want to dismiss. God brings healing in many ways, right? I mean, humanity is messy, and when we're talking about sins and forgiveness, there's a lot of hurt, deep hurt, right? And we're saying, how do we deal with this? But I get concerned when... People are taught to put an empty chair in front of them and to visualize someone in that empty chair, often someone that's dead, and begin to speak to them and forgive them. And that's something that there's some Christian counselors that teach that. The sadder thing of that is when they start having you do that with people that are alive, that you could actually have contact with that you could actually sit in a room and have a mediator and interact with. And they said, picture that person and forgive them. And what I'm challenging you to think about today, and you believe based on the Bible, not because I'm saying it, but I want to challenge you that there is a gospel-centered way to handle the hurt from someone who's dead, to handle the hurt from someone who will never admit they sinned, against you, and to handle the hurt of someone that refuses to ever ask for forgiveness, or how to handle the hurt of someone who you've asked for forgiveness from, and they refuse to give it. And this is all real life stuff. So let's dig in. Here's the key. 
The key to all that is we need to recover the lost art of being forgiving. We need to recover the lost art of being forgiving. Not asking, not yet, not giving, not yet, but being forgiving. So let's let's look at why we should do that and how we should do that. Okay, first of all, being forgiving reflects God's unconditional attitude towards sinners in general. There's not a person on this planet that God does not have a forgiving attitude towards. He has a forgiving attitude towards all sinners on the basis of Christ's atoning sacrifice. Now, the verses I have there in your notes, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them because that's basically the basis of the last three weeks' lessons, okay? We delved into this. But let's go to the classic passage, John 3.16. If there's no other verse in the Bible, then this is the verse to show God has a forgiving attitude toward all sinners. For God so loved who? The world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who your parents are, place of your birth, your spiritual upbringing, it doesn't matter. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is God's forgiving attitude. Amen? Yeah. 1 John 2, 2. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, that is, sins of believers, but not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Christ was the substitutionary, satisfying sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. That's a forgiving attitude. Romans 5, 6 through 8, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet, what? Sinners, Christ died for us. And then 1 John 4, 9 through 11. Verse 10 says, And this is love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction, the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. There's that idea again. Look. I don't give you anything that I don't expect you to share with others. Okay, so God has this. But notice, God does not actually forgive all sinners, but is truly forgiving toward all sinners, right? Hello? We don't have a universalist here, do we? You're welcome if you are, but realize that's not what the Bible teaches, right? He has a forgiving attitude he is forgiving towards all but he does not forgive everyone and first or i'm sorry first timothy 4:10 is a great verse for this listen to first timothy 4:10 for it is for this we labor and strive because we fixed our hope on the living god who is the savior of all men Now, if you put a a period there, it sounds like God is going to save everyone, right? The Savior of all men. But there's not a period there. There's a comma, and it says this. Especially of believers. Why? Because there's a condition to receive God's forgiveness. He's forgiving towards all, but there is a condition to be forgiven, to to receive forgiveness from Him. 
and that is believing. So, his attitude towards all sinners is forgiving, but the actual act of forgiving requires that they repent and ask him to forgive them. Now, before we lose this, leave this point, I want you to see, and we're going to talk about this on Easter. On Easter, we're going to see the heart of forgiveness in our Father God. And we're going to explore how forgiving He is towards sinners that never repent. But for now, I just want you to see, if our Heavenly Father can be forgiving to a world of people who are shaking their fist at Him, who are thumbing their nose, who are basically giving Him the, you know what, and will never repent, and will never ask for forgiveness, if He can be forgiving towards them, then can't we as His children be forgiving to all people? And especially those of the household of God, when we are a part of God's forgiving family. Amen? I know this isn't the kind of lesson where you're going to have hearty amens. I get that. But that's the point. When we have a forgiving attitude towards all people, regardless of they ever repent, ever ask us for forgiveness, ever admit that they've hurt us, when we have that forgiving attitude, we reflect the Father heart of God. Amen? Amen. All right, number two. Being forgiving does not always result in the conditional act of personally forgiving sinners. So, this is kind of the key to this lesson. Being forgiving okay, does not equal giving it. That's, if, 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 if you can see that, for, if I can show you that from Scripture, then I've accomplished the point of this lesson. So being forgiving does not equal automatically giving forgiveness. So let's take a look at that. Even though God is forgiving towards all offenders... God still requires sinners to repent of their sin, seek forgiveness, and receive it by trusting in Christ and His atoning work. Would you agree? So, He's forgiving to all, but there's a condition to receive. If I could put it this way, there's a condition to receiving God's unconditional forgiveness. I don't know how to say it any other way. And in today's culture, especially Christian culture, we have eliminated conditional anything. Everything is unconditional. Well, I don't see that. And I don't think you're going to see it today. Now, here's the deal. This is how God forgives sinners. And this may be the most important statement in the lesson. By being forgiving toward them in Christ, but still requiring, confessing, repenting, and trusting. This is God's way of forgiving sinners. So, what's this mean? Well, if those verses we read say, forgive others just as God in Christ has forgiven you, then it means there's two aspects to be thinking about. Being forgiven and giving forgiveness. Because those are the two aspects. That's how He forgave me. For 17 years, I didn't know him. 
I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even know who he was. I didn't know what he required. I didn't know him, even though I went to church every Sunday of my life in a good church with good people. But that whole 17 years, God was being forgiving towards me. Part of which was even putting me in that church. But when I recognized my sins and Him as my Savior, when I recognized that I need to come to Him and confess that I can't do anything to earn my salvation, you've done it all, Jesus, and I need to place my trust in you, and I need to forsake my own self-pity and my own self-trust, when I cross that line from unbelief to belief, then He gave me His forgiveness in Christ. All right? And let me just show this to you from the book of Acts. Because here's the thing. We're going to see... Now, next week, Palm Sunday, next week, we're going to look at the cost of forgiveness, and we're going to look at the cross of Jesus. And his most famous statement on the cross is, Father, forgive them. Now, if that forgave everybody, then why in the world, in Acts 2, would he have Peter then preach to people about the gospel... And in Acts 2, when the very people that crucified Jesus, they say, Oh my, they're cut to the heart, and they ask this question, What shall we do? The la- Peter does not say, No problem, don't sweat it. God has already forgiven you. You're already forgiven. Don't worry about it. God forgives everybody. He has a forgiving attitude. No, what does he say? What shall we do? Peter says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. You've got to receive it. And it's not the act of baptism since we're doing that today. It's not the act of baptism. It's what baptism represents that I am trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection. I'm being immersed down into the water, dying as he died, rising as he rose. And my faith and trust, and when that happens, they receive forgiveness. Why did Peter preach the need of repentance and uh, confession of sins? Because Jesus had commanded that. Listen to Luke 24, 47. The repentance, preach the repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And so Peter preached it, not only on the day of Pentecost, Act 2, but Acts 3.19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. Again, God has this forgiving attitude, but he says, look, you've got to repent so that your sins will actually be wiped away. Paul preached the same thing. Listen to Acts 20.21. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks. Because sometimes people will say, well, he preached repentance to the Jews. That's not a universal message. No. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the turning point here. God's forgiving. He, He... has a forgiving attitude, but the gift of forgiveness comes to those that repent and believe to receive his forgiveness. All right? Now, Paul never stopped preaching this message. Acts 26, 20, he kept declaring that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate. So, 
Here's the idea. God still requires, even though He's forgiving, He still requires repentance and faith in order to receive the gift. Secondly, God still requires saved sinners to do the same thing. So you say, okay, I've crossed the line from unbelief to belief. I'm in here. And, of course, for the last three weeks, we've hammered this home. He still expects people who have received His forgiveness to confess their sins, ask forgiveness on the basis of already being forgiven. Okay? I'm not dwelling on that. You can go to our new website, glenwoodconnection.org. You can download that lesson, stream, listen to that, those, those three lessons. So here's the bottom line. Since this is the manner... Since this is the way God forgave us, we should forgive one another. We should forgive one another or others. I think I mistyped that, sorry. For the same reason and in the same manner. We should, we should forgive for the same reason and in the same manner. I like what uh, Bible student John Butler says. Since Christ has forgiven the repenting sinner, the forgiving Forgiven sinner ought to be forgiving of others. Forgiveness, of course, requires repentance of the wrongdoer. All right? Now, being forgiving reflects God's unconditional attitude. So we should have that. We should be forgiving to everyone. But it doesn't always result in conditional act of personally forgiving. So this brings to point three. And here's the idea. And here's kind of what the application I want to get across to you today. Being forgiving does not replace going and giving forgiveness. Being forgiving does not replace going and giving forgiveness. Because here's what happens. If you're taught that you can forgive anyone by simply grabbing a chair and sitting down visualizing that person, the chair's not important, but this is how they do it, okay? You sit down in a chair, and you sit, and you look at this person, and you visualize dead or living, living a mile away or 500 miles away. And by the way, with today's technology and social media, we can pretty much get in contact with anyone, okay? But when we're sitting and say, look, I forgive you, and that person never hears that, that person doesn't even know, Maybe most times when we forgive people, they don't even know they've sinned against us. And yet you're forgiving them. Okay, how does that help them? Let's say they're really doing something wrong, but they just don't know it. You're not helping them. You're not doing what the Bible wants you to do, right? Or let's say there's just I, I just there's so many dynamics to that. But listen. Being forgiving, I have a forgiving attitude to everyone, doesn't replace going to an individual and saying, look, you have sinned against me. We need to work this out. It doesn't replace going to a person and saying, I've sinned against you. And that's what we're going to see here. So let's look at it. There's a need for both the unconditional attitude of being forgiving and the conditional act of forgiving. That's the key. So let's look at some general commands. The general commands, there's general commands to be forgiving toward unrepentant 
offenders. There are a few general commands to be forgiving towards people who have sinned against you, will never admit it, will never ask for it, may try to barter, may try to buy you off, but the bottom line is they won't humbly come and confess. Well, here's the idea. Mark 11.25 is one place. Mark 11.25. So turn your Bibles, Mark 11.25, and check this out. This kind of seems to be a general command to have a forgiving attitude without having to interact with the person, without having to go to the person. Look at uh, Mark eleven twenty five. It says this, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. So, it's like, I'm praying, and God brings something to mind that that somebody's hurt me, and He says, before you do anything else, just go ahead and forgive them, and then move on with your prayer. Okay? And all I'm saying to you is that's pretty much how many Christians, and even many uh, Christian leaders teach people to be. Just, just, Just forgive them. In your, in your mind, in your heart, in your private devotions, and then move on. Now, I looked up because we should learn from others. Godly men who have studied, men and women who have studied the Bible. So I looked at some other commentators. And here's what they said about commenting on this verse. And I want you to listen to some what they said. Faith and the willingness to forgive, these are the two conditions of efficacious prayer, effective prayer. The willingness to forgive. Do you catch? There's an attitude there. Another commentator, John MacArthur, says, Jesus states the believer's ongoing duty to have a forgiving attitude. Successful prayer requires forgiveness as well as faith. So a willingness to forgive and a forgiving attitude. Another commentator on the book of Mark said, There is another condition of prayer stated by Jesus here, and that is forgiveness of our fellow man. This, too, is not arbitrary. We have no inherent right to be heard by God. All is is His grace and undeserved favor. But unless we forgive our fellows freely, it shows that we have no consciousness of the grace that we ourselves have received in need. And so it shows that we are expecting to be heard on our own merits, which cannot be. Here's the idea. This verse is talking about a willingness to forgive, I believe, a readiness to forgive, and an eagerness to forgive. But it's not saying, I forgive you. And now I have no other obligation to go to the person. Here's some other places we know we need to have a forgiving attitude. Think about Jesus' commands to love your enemies. That's a forgiving... I mean, I can't love my enemy if I don't have a forgiving attitude. It's not going to work. So, in Matthew, Jesus says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. And we all say, I like that. But I say to you, Jesus says to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Remember, reflect your father's forgiving heart. 
For He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But notice, He does not say, I give forgiveness to them without them asking for it. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors. Be forgiving is what He's saying. But He's not saying to forgive them, to give them forgiveness. Luke 6. Again, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, do what? Offer him the other one. My fingers are weird. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold it. But notice in that whole list, he doesn't say, give them forgiveness. Give them forgiveness. In Luke 6... He goes on and he says, If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. If you lend to those whom you expect to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back. But love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Those are attitudes of being forgiven. All right? But next to those general commands to be forgiving, we have specific commands that say, don't go to the chair, but go to the person. So let's look at those. There are specific commands that ask for forgive to uh, specific commands regarding ask for forgiveness as a repentant offender and give forgiveness to repentant offenders. And here they are. Go to the person that you've offended and ask them for, to forgive you. Classic passage is Matthew 5. Matthew 5, he says, you're there worshiping God. You're there in our context. You're on Sunday. You're about to to pray, you're about to give your offering, you're about to hear the sermon, and suddenly you realize someone has something against you. I have wronged someone. God says it is so important for you and them to interact that you should leave the church service, drive or go out and get your phone and immediately interact with that person. Do you think that's pretty important, this this interaction? Yeah. Yeah. How important is it? More important than sitting. So uh, right now, nobody look around. If you need to get up, God says, right now, get up and go and get on that phone. Now, is he saying, you know, you got to get up? No, but what he's saying, the most important thing right now for you to do is not to think you're okay with me, but to make it right with those that you have hurt, that you have sinned against. So that's the command to go and ask. But here's the the one that I want to focus on today. Go to the person who has offended you and seek to give them forgiveness. That's in Matthew 18. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 18. I'm drinking out of a lid. Look at Matthew 18. Now, remember... If all we're supposed to do is be forgiving, if we're to grant forgiveness without interacting with people, then Matthew 18 would not be written the way it's written. If your brother sins, 
sit in a chair, look at the chair, and tell him that you forgive him. Is that what it says? No. What's it say? If your brother sins, do what? Go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, pull out the chair, talk to the chair and tell him you forgive him. No, take two, one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What's that mean? Basically, saved people confess their sins, which is what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. Professing believers who refuse to confess their sins when there are witnesses and it's verifiable, this is what you're doing, we are to treat them as unbelievers. Now, you know what that means? That, now, first of all, what that means is there is in no way are we told to give forgiveness to people who have not repented and asked for it. Would you agree in this passage? But when he says treat them as an unbeliever, that means treat them as they're in this category and be forgiving toward them, loving, merciful, but not granting them forgiveness. Because why? They haven't confessed. They haven't asked. And you can't give what isn't asked for. At least God doesn't. Does God give forgiveness to any eternal forgiveness to anyone that doesn't ask for it? No. That's why we have missionaries. Because people need to hear the message and they need to respond. Amen? If God grants forgiveness without people acknowledging and asking for it, then basically everybody's going to get saved. And that's universalism. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Let's go to Luke 17. Turn over Luke 17. Look at Luke 17. Specific commands about granting forgiveness and the conditions of it. So look at Luke 17 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And I mean, this passage, this passage, I love this passage. So let's look at it. It's inevitable that stumbling blocks come. Okay, so this lesson is relevant because you cannot avoid getting hurt or hurting others. Agreed? But woe to him through whom they come. Okay, so hurt's going to come. Don't be the one that's doing the hurting. Okay, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Then he would cause one of these little ones. And he's not just talking about children. He's talking about his disciples. Don't cause other disciples to sin and stumble. Now, look at verse three. Be on your guard. If that's a huge condition, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Don't talk to the chair. Talk to him. Talk to him, and if he repents another condition, what do you do if he repents? Forgive him. 
And if he sins against you seven times in the day and returns to you seven times saying what? I repent, forgive him. And then I love the closing verse. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Okay, increase our faith. Remember, forgiveness is a spirit is, is a supernatural talent. God has to give that to His people. All right, but I want you to notice there are two conditions there. It says, if he sins, go and rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he returns seven times, saying, "I repent," if he comes seven times saying it, you're saying, "Well, if he came and notice it's seven times in one day, this is a repeat offender." But he's also a repeat repenter. And that's the difference. A repeat repenter who comes and asks seven times in one day. Basically, he's Jesus saying, if this dude is sinning against you all the time and is sincerely asking for forgiveness, you keep forgiving him. And that's why they say, Lord, increase our faith. Okay? So... Having said all that, let's look at the differences between the unconditional attitude of being forgiving and the conditional act of giving forgiveness. So let me see if this this the end of this helps you. The attitude of being forgiving, which is this side over here before they've confessed, before they've changed. The attitude of being forgiving is personal. It's unilateral. And it's unconditional. Let me tell let's let's explain that. Personal means it emphasizes the need of your own heart to be right before God. Okay, so being forgiving is personal. You can do it alone. I would recommend you don't need the chair. You go to the mediator, and we're gonna talk next week, we're gonna see how Jesus did this on the cross. He didn't talk to a chair. He didn't talk to anyone horizontally. He went vertical. Because this is gospel-centered, not psychology. It's gospel-centered. And so it's the heart that's right before God and even right towards this person. Because I'm going to reflect the Father heart of God. Number two, it's unilateral. Emphasizes that the other person does not have to be involved. They don't have to be present They don't have to be even alive. This part is unilateral. And then thirdly, it's unconditional. And it's unconditional because it does not depend on what the other person does or doesn't do. It, It emphasizes, unconditional emphasizes the need to be this way regardless, regardless of what they do or don't do. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Okay, now, what's the difference over here? The difference between the act of giving forgiveness, it's relational, mutual, and conditional. Why? Relational emphasizes the need to go to the person. So now you're going to the person. You've got the right heart attitude. You're in a forgiving person, but now you're going to go to the person, preferably in person. We'll have a whole lesson on how to go and how to do this. Number two, mutual emphasizes the need to interact. It's no longer unilateral. 
you interact. It takes the two of you. You go to them. And conditional emphasizes the need to actually ask and give forgiveness. You have an unconditional attitude, but the condition for giving it is them asking or giving. Does that help you see the difference here? Okay, so here's the, here's the bottom line. Being forgiving sets us free when others never ask us for forgiveness and never give us. So here's what I want you to end with today. Being forgiving is a gospel-centered way of being set free when you deal with those that are unrepentant. Secondly, being forgiving is an unconditional attitude that sets us free when others don't confess their sin or ask for forgiveness. You don't have to be enslaved by them. And then finally, giving forgiveness is a conditional act that sets others free when they confess their sin and ask for forgiveness. Does that, I hope this helps you. And other people teach this, but you don't hear it a lot. You don't hear it a lot and you don't see it a lot. And it will help you because there's nothing, listen, there's nothing more frustrating than to ask someone for forgiveness and they won't forgive you. You talk about having some anger issues. But you know what? You can be forgiving towards them. Nothing more forgive, more frustrating than someone sin against you and they never repent of it. They never ask for it and they may repeat it. And yet you can be forgiving toward them. Isn't that awesome? That's the, that's the freedom of the gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh These are hard lessons to learn. They're difficult lessons to learn because it means that we have been hurt. Somebody has sinned against us. It means that we have sinned and we are ashamed of that and we don't want to deal with that. We want to hide. We want to blame. But Father, by being forgiven, forgiving like you are towards all sinners, we can be set free from the bitterness in the bondage of an unforgiving spirit. I pray that each person here will be set free by the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be forgiving this week.